it doesn't take you very long after you open up the pages of the New Testament to find out that you're, you're going to find four different Gospels right there. And many times people have a question of why are there four Gospels? Well, I want to kind of point out some of the purposes behind why there are different uh, Gospels right here. And I also want to remind you of something. It's not that we really have four different Gospels. It's that we have four different accounts. It's one Gospel, and it's all about Jesus Christ. Now, each one of the different Gospel accounts, they tell us... Um, kind of a different part. They, they maybe will focus on a different part about Jesus and teach us something about him. And uh, they have their own way of sort of telling the story. And all of these things are very important as we look at the Gospels in order to better understand them uh, so that we can, you know, kind of properly read them and all. Uh, by the way, this picture right here and a couple of the others that I'm going to use in this video, uh, they come from a Bible project video on how to read the Gospel. It's on how to read the Bible, but specifically uh, the Gospel and I'll try to include a link to that video uh, in the uh, description of this one. So that way you can maybe kind of watch that video after you watch uh, this one. Because it'll give you uh, even a little bit more things to, to focus on. This one, main, mainly, we're going to take a look at an example on how these Gospels um, are different and, and what they can teach us. Uh, but let's also uh, kind of learn a few things about the history about this. Now, historically speaking, and, and also in the different art forms that you see, now you probably see here on this screen, you, you see these different images, and it's it's got uh, a man connected with Matthew, and then you've got these animals that are connected with the other Gospels. Well, this comes from several different passages. One of them is Revelation 4, verse 7, and you find out about these living creatures that are around the throne of God. Now, Revelation is not the first time those creatures appear. In the prophet Ezekiel and some other passages in the Old Testament, you find out about these these uh, these different creatures. And these four specific creatures have been connected with the four different gospel accounts. Each one of them has a slightly different focus, and they've been connected with one of these different living creatures. So in Revelation chapter 4, verse 7, we read, The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third was uh, had the face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Now, historically speaking, each one of these different beings has been connected. Each one of these different creatures has been connected with one of the gospel accounts. Matthew has been connected with the man because he just kind of starts off with the genealogy about Jesus and talking about him. And we see that Mark has actually been connected with the lion. And the reason why Mark is connected with the lion is because it, he really focuses on how Jesus is a king and kind of that lion from the tribe of Judah type thing. So there's a lot of reasons why they're connected to those different animals, but that's just kind of some of them. Uh, Luke has been connected with the one that is like a, a, an ox um, because Jesus is described there and really focused on how he is a servant uh, of us and kind of how he came to serve. And then John, a lot of John's focus um, has always been recognized as being that Jesus is God. And because of that, of course, we kind of see him being connected with that eagle, kind of the, the heavenly type of thing. So um, I just point these things out because it's important to recognize this is something that's going to show up in different um, kind of historical settings and different art forms. And you might see even a little bit more about that. Uh, and I also want us to notice that uh, just as I've mentioned, each one has a little bit different focus. Uh, there, there's also a bit of construction that's involved in each one of them.
Now, the amazing thing about the construction of the Bible, though, it's not like any other book. Because what we see with the Bible is it's not just about the human author, but it is about the human author, too. And you also have God as the author. So it's inspired by God. So you have the Holy Spirit working. You have these human authors that are working together. And they are all uh, giving us this story. Sometimes they might even kind of uh, rearrange some of these events. That's why you might be reading in Matthew's account or, or Luke's account. And you might see, oh, well, you know, they, they put the different stories in different places. Uh, that, that's okay because none of them really tell us that they're trying to give us a chronological um, you know, history of it. It's not like a one, two, three type thing. It could be that there's a reason why they, they might say, okay, Matthew tells the events of one, two, three, but then Mark goes one, three, two, because he wants to tell you something about two, but you need to know something about three first. So, you know, he's got his own way of, of sort of bringing that and all this construction that, uh, the, the gospels have, have gone in this, this account of Jesus, the story of Jesus, um, it focused on different parts of Jesus' ministry, uh, the different purpose that Jesus had, and all of them can teach us today something if we simply will, will listen. Now, the beginning of each one of the Gospels tells us something about the reason that they were written. Uh, let's take a look at those just kind of briefly. If you look at the beginning of Matthew, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham. And it goes through with this genealogy. That's why the focus is oftentimes recognized that Matthew is focusing on how Jesus is a man. Mark, what he actually says right there is he says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. And then if you keep reading in Mark's account, it's, it's very interesting. He loves the word immediately and he just goes one thing right after another. He is uh, definitely focused on those things. And even from the very beginning, we see that he is talking about how Jesus is the Messiah. He is this anointed one. He is this king. Now, um, I'm going to skip Luke for just a moment because I want us to look at uh, Luke, how he begins his gospel, actually at the end of this, uh, of this lesson for us. So let's jump to John. In John chapter 1, definitely his focusing on how Jesus is God. Because in John 1, 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you skip on down to verse 14, you find out who exactly that Word is. Without a doubt, it's talking about Jesus Christ. Because the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So each one of these kind of tells us some of the purpose behind uh, what they were, were demonstrating, what they were showing about Jesus and in their telling of the story. Now, think about it like this. Have you ever had an occasion whenever you have uh, perhaps not witnessed something yourself, but you come onto the scene or you hear about something that happened later and you hear it from two different perspectives? And you know, it's kind of interesting because this person might focus on something a, a little different or sometimes a lot different than what this other person is focused on. Because we as humans, we have our, our certain way of, of seeing the world around us and our certain way that we focus on different things at different times. And we have our different ways of telling this story. That's not to take away that, of course, uh, God is the author of the Bible and he is guiding these human authors. However, we do see that each one of them has like a, a little different bit of details that they include and maybe um, some different information that they have firsthand uh, account with. Um, there's different reasons as to why there can be some uh, differences in these Gospels, but sometimes these Gospels can be kind of uh, interesting to compare to one another to see 
well, why does one gospel tell us this and then another gospel tells us something else? Um, now, I want us to also have a little bit of a caution because we're about to look at a specific example that's going to demonstrate some similarities and some differences. If all that we ever do is focus on the differences, I think that we've kind of missed something because, you know, I, I'm kind of used to studying um, that way. Like we see, oh, well, Matthew includes this bit of detail and, and Luke over here includes this bit of detail. However, I, I'm convinced that there's another way to study these things, and that is to take a step back and to see what do they all include? Because that's what they all have in common, and that's going to be at the foundation of the story. Instead of focus on, you know, some of these specifics details that might be slightly, uh, slight, slightly different for one reason or another. If we see the similarities, then that can help us to get a better picture of what the foundational story is all about. So let's look at one of these examples, and to that, I want us to take a look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I want you to think about uh, the events that happen in this garden. I want you to think about it just kind of briefly, and if you even want to, uh, you might want to even pause the video right here and to sort of get an idea as what all took place there. Because I want you to think in, in the events and some of the details that you can perhaps uh, remember, because we're going to see some of the things that took place in the garden. And then I also want you to think about this, you know, who did what after those things happened? Like what all took place and then who did what? How did people start to re respond? How did everybody else respond to the things that happened? Uh, that might not make too much sense just yet, but it will as we get uh, into the text together. So what I'm going to do is uh, this, this slide right here is actually Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 22, um, this one is going to be mostly the same in all the different gospels. There's, there's not a whole lot of differences, um, but I, I give us this to kind of refresh our memory a little bit and get us into the setting of uh, Jesus at this, this garden, in this garden, what takes place. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back, up, he went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Okay, so maybe this is getting you into this setting and, and, and giving you an idea as to uh, these events that, that take place. But now I want us to kind of walk through these events and notice some of the similarities and some of the differences that are found in the gospel accounts. The next thing that we see after Jesus is, is praying right here and has this, uh, this talk and all, we see that Jesus is going to be arrested. And uh, what I'm going to do for the next few slides is I'm, I'm going to uh, show you one and, and maybe read that whole slide and, and it'll be uh, from just one of the gospel accounts. And then I've tried to put in bold and underline here and I'm going to try to draw your attention to some of these things that maybe this gospel tells us that that one doesn't and maybe notice some of the similarities as well. Uh, kind of doing all these things at the same time, which, by the way, um, one thing that I forgot to, to mention earlier is um, how you can do this. Most Bible softwares, um, I'm pretty sure that Bible Gateway even has an option on uh, you know, BibleGateway.com. Um, and uh, if you go there, 
they have an option of what's called like a harmony of the Gospels. Um, there's different places that you can look these things up. Um, I actually look, uh, I actually really like the way that this book does it right here. It's called the uh, Synopsis of the Four Gospels. Now, um, I don't typically use this translation right here. It's the Revised uh, Standard Version, but I absolutely love the format that's given in this book because I don't know how well you can see it just on this screen, but uh, I just randomly turned to one place, and you can see that it's got the, the four different gospel accounts. And uh, while it's not the easiest to read if you're just reading the whole thing, um, it's really cool because the details that are included in each one of the gospels, they're included on the same line in this. Um, so now you can like really see, okay, is this detail, uh, what gospels include this bit of detail? And, it, and it's really laid it out in a, in a very wonderful way. And I've uh, used that work several times in, in um, well, I, I use that work several times whenever I'm doing any study about Jesus' life because something like that can be very helpful to us. But uh, right here, we're just going to take a look at one gospel at a time, mainly because I can't display more of this stuff on the screen, really. I can't have like two or three or four columns and they be able to really be able to read them. So we'll just kind of take a look at these things and, and notice them. So uh, we'll start off with John's gospel. Now I will give you a warning. John is like very different than all these other accounts as to what happened. Yet you'll notice it's the same basic story, but keep in mind what John is trying to do. He's showing us and kind of uh, proving to us about how Jesus is God. And so because of that, he really um, lifts up Jesus right here and tells us some things about him. So in uh, John chapter 18, verses two through nine, this is how uh, John records the following details. He says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, uh, guiding a detachment of, of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you were looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Now, uh, one of the things that John tells us is he portrays these events a little different than what we're used to. You probably were thinking, okay, Judas is going to come up to Jesus. He's going to kiss him, you know, and, and betray him. Um, that's what the other gospels tell us. In John's gospel, however, the way that this betrayal um, happens is this conversation between Jesus and this crowd. And he says, who is it that you want? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 5, he says, I am he. Now, the really cool thing about that in Greek is he's just saying, I am. It's the same statement as um, whenever... God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. You know, um, I am is kind of the name of God. I am that I am. So whenever Jesus is saying, I am he, yes, okay, he's saying that, well, I'm he, I'm Jesus. But I believe that uh, John specifically wrote it in such a way to tell us that Jesus is saying not only that he is Jesus, but he's also, he is the I am. Um, I think that only makes sense when you see in verse 6, that they drew back and they fell to the ground at that moment. I mean, they were just taken back by what is taking place right here. But Jesus um, openly tells them, look, I am the guy, let these other people go. Um, and then the events just continue on. So let's 
Uh, let's take a look at, at this in some of the other Gospels. Notice I stated this is very different. Keep in mind the focus of what John is focusing on. It's, it, I don't want you to think that, oh, well, you know, this is how it had to have happened or this other way is how it had to have happened. No, all of these things happened, but John focused on this part, whereas the other gospel writers, for one reason or another, they focused on other parts, specifically that kiss that Judas uh, gives to him and betrays Jesus with, uh, you know, kissing him and greeting him and being friendly to him. Uh, whatever the case, we definitely see this betrayal and how it, uh, how it comes about uh, against Jesus. So let's take a look at Luke's gospel now. In Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 48, we read, While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? So this is probably what we're you know, pretty familiar with. Here you do have some details. We just are told it's a crowd. We're not even told really who makes up the crowd. We're just told it's a crowd. We definitely see that it's it's Judas. He's one of the 12. Okay, that is something that is going to be included in like all of the Gospels. Judas is the one who betrayed him without a doubt. Uh, that is one of the foundational um, teachings that we see. And we see that Judas, um, here in this case, uh, Luke focuses on how he b betrays him with a kiss. And Jesus is kind of shocked by that. And he's saying, are you really going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, Matthew includes a little bit more detail, and so does Mark. So let's take a look at some of the details they include. Now, notice here that they actually tell us not only about um, that it is a crowd, but tells us a little bit more details about who makes up the crowd and stuff. And notice here, Matthew and Mark, which is basically going to be about the same as, as Matthew's account here, they focus on this conversation that Jesus had with Judas. Now, keep in mind, all of these things are true. These are kind of just some from slightly different perspectives of uh, what this story is taking place right here. So as we focus now on, on the difference, this is uh, Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 through 50. Um, I'll point out some differences in verse 47. We find out it's a large crowd. They're armed, but then it also says that they were sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. So we start to see a little bit more about who's behind it and all. We notice in verse 48, there's a signal. It's this kiss. But now we notice that whenever that kiss happened, there's this conversation, and notice uh, the, this conversation that happens. Verse 49, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, do what you have come for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. So this is how Matthew is going to uh, give us the, the account right here, that Judas and Jesus have this conversation that goes back and forth, and we definitely notice that Judas who was one of these close ones to Jesus. He was one of these inner 12 that we, that we see, these 12 apostles. He betrays Jesus. He betrays him with a kiss and a sign of affection, a sign of a greeting, you know, greetings, rabbi. But it's, it's with those things that Jesus is, is betrayed uh, by this one that is so close to him. But now I want you to think about some of the other details that happened. How did people respond? Specifically, how did the disciples respond to Judas betraying Jesus? And to that, I want us to look from the different accounts and see how the disciples do respond, uh, especially with one disciple in particular. And I want you to think about it right now. What disciple is it who responds very quickly, very immediately, very drastically? And then what does Jesus say about that? Well, let's take a look at these accounts together. For starters, let's look at Mark's. It's going to give us just a little bit of the, the information right here. 
In Mark chapter 14, verses 47 through 50, we read, Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you do not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. So here the details that we include is that one of those who was standing around, he struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Those are some of the details we have. We definitely see one of them uh, attacks with a sword. That's something that's going to be, you know, foundational statement in, in uh, definitely Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke's uh, gospel right here. And then how Jesus responds in this conversation, uh, depending on which gospel, it depends on how much information you get right here. Jesus seems to be just kind of questioning, well, what's really going on? I'm not leading some rebellion. You could have come at, up to me at any time, but you didn't arrest me then. Now you are. And um, because of all this, now we see that it's not just um, the fact that one of them you know, reacts and stuff, but then we start to see um, how all of the disciples uh, desert him and they all uh, flee. So this is what Mark just kind of tells us uh, briefly, just this information, one of them, Strikes the servant of the high priest, cuts off his ear. Okay, that's all we get. But you know, there's actually more details that you probably know, but aren't included in Mark's gospel. Let's look at Matthew. Matthew tells us a little bit more about that one. He tells us that it's one of Jesus' companions. So in Matthew chapter 26, verses 51 through 56, I'm going to sort of read some of the, the differences right here. In verse 51, we find out it's one of Jesus' companions. Okay, do you remember which one? You probably do. That's maybe a little bit of trivia that you might know, um, but it's not included in Mark and it's not included in Matthew. However, Matthew does include something that Mark didn't. He said in verse 52, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Then he has this conversation, verse 53. Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? And then he goes on and it reads a whole lot like uh, Mark's gospel. But here we see that Jesus actually gets on to one of his companions um, and he tells them that that's not the way that this should be. And Matthew has included this bit of information to tell us that that's not the focus that Jesus had. It wasn't on, on overtaking Rome or overtaking the enemy by the sword. If you draw the sword, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. That's what he says. Then he tells us something that has inspired a song. Uh, now, we don't, uh, we don't sing about 12 legions of angels, do we? But we do sing that he could have called 10,000 angels. Um, that song, without a doubt, would be based on verse 53, that Jesus knows he could have asked for help and his heavenly father would have helped him. Um, but that is not the way that he was going to go at this time. He was going to endure this suffering, uh, endure this, uh, this arrest right here. Uh, now let's notice Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 22, verses 49 through 53, uh, we notice a few more things about it. In verse 50, we see that one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Interestingly enough, we find out what ear it is. I don't know exactly why Luke felt the need to, uh, to focus on that. We do know that Luke, um, he's a doctor, so he does seem to kind of pay a, a little attention like, in, uh, in the book of Acts, whenever he talks about a, a man um, who is healed and he can walk again, he says about his ankles being restored. I don't know. Maybe Luke had a specific eye for some of these, these details. And right here, he's the one that tells us it was the right ear of the servant. Now, that might be some of the differences, but notice the same story is, is given in each one of these. 
we see this story of um, betrayal, this, this arrest. And now also notice what Luke tells us, interestingly enough, in verse 51. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Now you probably knew that, but did you know that we get this information from Luke's gospel? Did you notice that these other stories in Matthew and, and Mark that we've looked at, they didn't include that bit of detail that Jesus touched this man and healed him. Perhaps maybe it's that Luke, he's a doctor, so he cares about this healing. But I mean, this is something that uh, during that time, they didn't really have the capabilities of being able to, to reattach somebody's ear if it had come off. But the fact that Jesus does it, definitely he is, uh, I mean, he's showing such compassion right there. Because they're the ones who are coming out against Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, let's, we're not going to take up the sword. And he even takes the ear and puts it back and heals the man. It's amazing the type of, of uh, compassion that mercy, and mercy that Jesus shows even whenever these people are coming to put him to death. And, and he knows that. I just wonder, how did this affect that guy? Did it, did it impact his life? Maybe so. To that, let's turn to John's gospel. Now, John tells us some very interesting things. Now, you probably knew which disciple it was. And in John chapter 18, we read uh, verses 10 through 12. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's uh, servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup uh, the father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with their commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him. So now we see that it, uh, who it was is named right here. John tells us, look, it's Peter. And then um, we see that he's cutting off his right ear. Okay, look, John tells us that as well. But now John tells us something else. He says the servant's name was Malchus. Now it's generally thought that John wrote his gospel like the last um, and... Perhaps one of the reasons why John included this guy's name, uh, not, not Peter, I, that's not the guy I'm talking about, I'm talking about Malchus, is perhaps Malchus became a disciple. You know, whenever he had got his ear cut off and put back by Jesus, do you think that affected him? Maybe so. Now, this of course might be reading a little bit too much into that, but the original audience would know why this name was given. But without a doubt, that would allow them to um, be able to research some of these details a little bit more uh, during their time. Now, during our time, of course, it's not maybe quite as valuable to us. But the fact that Malchus is named, perhaps he became a disciple of Jesus. Maybe having his ear healed at that moment um, led to him coming to, to be a follower uh, of Jesus. And we also notice that, uh, that Peter is focused on right here. And John is going to a few uh, chapters later. Tell us the beautiful story that only John tells us of how Peter is uh, is reconciled, that all things are made right with Jesus again. Because, you know, Peter uh, turns his back on, on Jesus. He denies him. And then on the day of Pentecost, we see that Peter's preaching this sermon. Well, what happened in the between? John tells us those facts. Another reason why we do have these four different gospel accounts, because they have different reasons for telling us this story. And they focus on different parts. And we see this... This part here is that John tells us um, this this story, this detail about this Malchus, which perhaps could have been someone who was a, a follower of Jesus because of the events that happened. Um, I, I'm kind of 
likely to believe that whenever we have people named, people who are healed and are named, the reason why they're named is because they're part of the community of faith. And people know them. They could, you know, go find out, well, you know, hey, you know, Brother Malchus, he's got this story that he can tell about the compassion and the mercy that Jesus showed him. Um, perhaps that's not the case right here, but definitely in other places it, it does seem to be um, the case. But there's a reason why all these details are included. And it's a reason why perhaps there's not always exactly the same details in each one of them. Because the Holy Spirit and God and all of his wisdom is allowing the Bible um, to, to be written by humans. And sometimes uh, the way that they uh, compile it and put it together and tell us the story can be slightly different. But we definitely see the foundation, the truth behind it um, uh, of what these stories tell us. Now, at this time, uh, I want us to go back and take a look at uh, the way that Luke started off his gospel. This was just to kind of show you just, just a little bit of an example, kind of an exercise to show you some of the similarities and the differences that are found in the gospel accounts. And hopefully that will be helpful to you in uh, your own study and looking and comparing some of these details um, to, to one another. So the beginning of Luke's gospel. I told you uh, earlier on that the beginning of each one of the gospels tells us something about the reason why they wrote it. Luke starts off in the first four verses like this. Luke says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account to you, uh, for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke tells us what he did. Luke also tells us a few other things. He tells us that, that there were several people who were writing these things down, who, who had an account of this gospel. So yes, in, in the Bible and the ones that, that the Holy Spirit inspired, uh, we have the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, and the gospel according to John. Those are the ones that are, that are in there, but obviously some other people were also telling the story. They were proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And Luke said, look, I thought it was a great idea for me to, to uh, write to you this orderly account. And he tells them the reason, verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. It's also the benefit of each one of the Gospels for us, so that we can know with 100% that what we have been taught, it is true. So no, with this all, with this kind of study and this, this look and example and everything um, on our minds, I want you to think about this question right now. How do you tell the gospel? You know, perhaps you even have uh, one of these different gospels that's written. It's maybe one of your favorites. My personal favorite, I love John. I just love so many things about the way that, that he wrote. But whenever you go to tell the gospel to somebody else, what types of details do you include about Jesus? What types of details do you maybe not include for one reason or another? And have you ever thought of this? Perhaps it even might change slightly, depending on who you're talking about. You might want to spend a little bit more time on this part or that part of Jesus' life if you know that it's going to impact the person that you're, you're talking to at that moment. Whatever the case, however you tell the gospel message, make sure that you're telling it. That's the most important thing. Make sure that you, you know the story about Jesus and that you can tell others, boldly proclaim the message about Jesus because that's what we need to be doing till the very end of time, till 
Jesus returns. So let's keep doing that. Let's make sure that we proclaim this gospel message.